0: Made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage with a better place for autistic. An aspect people. podcast, focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant
1: Hi and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Orion Kelly and I'm autistic and my purpose is to inspire, inform and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. On this episode, we explore what it's like to be an autistic adult parenting an autistic child. My guest is Ainsley Robinson. Ainsley is a research assistant and future leaders project officer at Aspect Research Centre for Autism Practice.
2: Ainsley, thank you for joining me. Not a problem. Glad to be here.
1: Now, let's start at the start. As an autistic woman, I think we all well and truly know now that your journey to diagnosis can be significantly different to that of autistic men, boys, myself, we've had different journeys. I'd love to start with your journey. Could you share with us a bit about your journey to diagnosis?
2: I think it's quite stereotypical for a lot of autistic women in that at the age of 30, I had a son who by the age of three, and I was 33 at this point, was diagnosed as being autistic. And I remember being in a preliminary appointment. This wasn't his diagnostic appointment. And everything that I was answering yes to for him, I was also answering yes to for myself. And I'd thought 10 years before this that I could have Asperger's. So none of this was hugely surprising to me. But then the more I went along his journey, the more I realized it was applicable to me. And then looking back in hindsight, everything that my mother had sought out answers for me for as a child suddenly made a whole lot of sense. So I'm actually a little bit different too. A lot of women, autistic women I know, say that their autism presents in a very different way. For me personally, I think it's what you would stereotypically expect of a certain part of the spectrum for anyone in general. I, As a kid, I'd have huge sensory meltdowns when I went to the hairdresser, kicking, screaming, all of that sort of stuff. I didn't really speak to anyone much outside my family. Huge sensory things, taking things literally. I'd say I was very good at schoolwork, but then I would have issues at school outside of academia. I, th- I think it's a fairly, fairly stereotypical journey for an autistic person in general. But at the time, nobody picked up on it, I guess, because nobody, nobody, unless they had, I guess, a learning disability was really being diagnosed with autism at the time. But I do hear that autism for some women does present very, very differently. And does that answer the question? <laughs> I don't know. That, I, I went on a very long tangent there, I feel. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, look, putting
1: gender aside, and in fact, this this shows that gender is kind of irrelevant. You and I have almost the exact same story. So, oh, that's cool. But for my son, I may never have been diagnosed. And, yep. and again, like you said, I kind of sometimes state that I feel like I'm part of a lost generation, a generation mm. that, that weren't born, their childhood didn't occur at a time when Presumably, we just didn't know enough. So I no, your your answer was perfect. It was spot on, and I think it's very relatable. It's a relatable story, but I think Ainsley, what frustrates me, it's like no one says this, right? It's, it's not that I I can relate to a lot of people, and but they're out there, but it's just it's not. It's like we're not connected because it's kind of a, goes against who we are, you know, in a way. Our, our yeah. So it's it's really interesting, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. I I feel that as well. I often feel, I guess. Like I'm on the same planet with everyone else, but it's very difficult for me to connect. And I think yes. because a lot of the people who that are like me also find it difficult to connect, like to reach out and connect other people that were, we all exist, mm. but maybe just not so connected to each
1: 100%. other. 100%. I've got a YouTube channel. One of my videos was, you know, I, I feel like an alien. And because, that's mm. because I'm an autistic alien, that's what it feels like. You feel like you're on a alien world. This is a planet that's not quite right for you, but it, it is a really interesting experience. So we're both autistic adults and we're both parents of autistic children. So we share that thing in common. From your point of view though, did you always have an idea growing up that you know having kids was something you were looking forward to, hoping to do, were just gonna was just going to happen, was a normal part of your life? Was that something that you always saw as happening?
2: You see other young girls and they play with dolls and it's obvious that they're very <laughs> nurturing and all of that sort of stuff and it is something that they yearn for but for me i had i had children a little bit not early but not super late either and it wasn't something that i actually desperately wanted i think it just dawned on me one day that it would be nice to have people that were like me and to have that sort of family yes and then I really, really wanted children, but it wasn't something that I desperately yearned for my whole life. No.
1: Yeah, and I think that's another bit of information that's great to hear for you know autistic people who are parents, because like you said, there's a, almost a stereotype that autistic people number one are, are asexual, and number two certainly don't want kids, and it it, it just shows the myths we're kind of breaking through and. Also if you asked my siblings or my family and my friends they would have said I would have been probably a bachelor my whole life but, but I got married yeah. and I got married and had kids and even though it's challenging I I wouldn't swap it for the world so it is really interesting how it does come about I think too well, I take a deep breath out of pure exhaustion parenting an autistic child. <laughs> but from your point of view, what do you feel have been the, the real clear differences in your experiences as an autistic mum parenting an autistic <gasps> child as opposed to that of a neurotypical parent who I guess sees it from a, from a whole different angle?
2: Well, the funny thing about it all was um, when he was really little – To me, he seemed like, for want of a better word, the most normal kid on the planet. (laughs) And when everyone else was kind of saying, oh, there's something different about this child, I'm like, no, he makes complete sense. What is he doing that's so weird? (laughs) So for me, that was kind of interesting, but I think it's become advantageous in a way. So my son has quite high support needs and I think I struggle maybe less than a neurotypic, and this is pure hypothesis on my behalf but I think I struggle a little bit less with parenting autistic child with such high needs because I'm not really desperately wanting him to fit in I don't feel that societal pressure to make him be or behave in a particular way and I think if I was trying to do that I think it would be much harder
1: Yes, expectations because, and pressures. and
2: Yeah, I think that would make life pretty tricky. But because we're just, like, I have this fantasy of, like, my family just living on an island where we don't need to live with outside forces. Um, <laughs> in, in that instance, I, I like, I don't find it that challenging, the general parts of parenting as opposed to parenting an autistic child. I have really poor executive functioning when it comes to what some people think of as very stereotypically female things like keeping a house and cooking and uh, like keeping family bonds together um, with extended family. All that stuff is extraordinarily hard as far as having a family is concerned. So that's the challenging part for me. But having a, an autistic child is kind of... I've got my mini me, yeah. so that's that's <laughs> kind of dope. <so>. Yeah, <laughs> and, but I, I
1: think yeah, you brought up a great point with regards to being autistic. You already feel like you don't really fit in and you're always striving and fighting for people just accept you for your differences rather than judge them. So when you look at that as opposed to being, say, a neurotypical parent and There's absolutely nothing wrong with everyone having different parenting styles, but neurotypical parents can fall into the trap of thinking that somehow their autistic child might need to be fixed or can be improved or get better because, and it's not in a bad way, it's because, well, I really want them to be able to function and and do well and thrive in the world. And it's a whole different way of thinking where from an autistic point of view – you're more just thinking i'm going to just keep advocating for the world to accept my child as they are, so as an autistic mm. parent, you can kind of in on the on the flip side on a, in, a, in a positive side, you can kind of not have to be burdened by those those expectations and and those pressures, which I think is probably a good thing
2: yeah absolutely i, I and the thing is I've known because you know i kind of i feel like I straddle this partway between being a hashtag trademark autism parent and being in that world and also being in the autistic world as well. And I see a lot of parents, neurotypical parents of autistic children, and they're amazing. Even when they are trying to make their kids fit, I guess it it does genuinely come from a place of love from what I've seen in most instances. It's just wanting that acceptance for them. I think yeah it's just different when you're autistic yourself. <laughs> yeah. You realize that that's probably not ever going to completely happen. So it would probably be better if the world was just more accepting. Yes.
1: It's probably not the right word but as an autistic parent you don't have to go through the same kind of grieving process that some autistic parents feel like they have to go through as a, because their child will have to fight to be accepted rather than just as a, as a matter of course. So
2: it's a, they're very
1: different experiences.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I find that a little bit perplexing, but that's not from a place of judgment. That's from a place of me not understanding.
1: And and that's, that's always going to be the case with, with people (laughs) like us. So that's, that's okay. I mean, you know, I have a, I have a neurotypical wife, so it's, I think the partnership works perfectly. It's always great to have someone who you can I mean like you know in a wrestling match I can I can tap out uh, and she yeah. can she can come in and, and take it from a different angle. And I, I, t- I think about parenting. And obviously as an autistic dad, parenting an autistic child, I don't know if it's different with regards to gender and stuff, but I think some of the worst parts for me, it, it isn't actually about my autistic son it's about my own challenges with how things trigger me and set me off and the sensory stuff and when things become too much and me forgetting that I'm autistic because I'm trying so hard to kind of mask for my kids or my family to come across like you would expect a dad to be so of course I can't ever win that battle so I feel like I <laughs> I, I fail I mean I, I struggle to kind of navigate those those demands I'm assuming it's relatable maybe it isn't but from my point of view Maybe it's because I put myself up against, say, neurotypical parenting, but I just feel like a horrible dad most days because because I'm autistic. I'm going to be autistic, right? I can't not be autistic from time to. T- so it, it makes me feel like a bit of a a bit of a failure. You know, incapable of doing what's required to be an actual dad. These kind of challenges are these things that you you can relate to. Do you have these kind of experiences oh, and feelings?
2: Absolutely. Thank God. And- for me it's most like because my son's in a special needs unit there's some terrific parents around that space and i don't have to try and be anything else with them the teacher also knows that i'm i'm probably going to forget things that he needs to tell me things the day before if he needs a note or whatever so that part of parenting for me is actually quite okay but when it comes to my daughter, who's neurotypical and in a mainstream section of the school, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm failing her every single day because that you've got the school mums outside the front in front of the school. And I don't know how you break into that little clutch of hens. You don't. At all. You don't. And I don't know how to not be embarrassing just when it comes to parenting my daughter uh, and I don't know how to help her like when she comes home she's very socially adept she's she's really really good at all that sort of stuff but when she does come home with the occasional friend drama I'm not that person and it's hard in this particular instance because my husband's a man clearly. Um, And (laughs) he doesn't know how little girls operate either. So it's good that I have a sister. Once these problems, my daughter starts getting older and these problems start getting a little bigger than my very basic level of social adeptness can handle. They're sort of things that I can, I know I can lean on her for support with, but I, I find the whole stuff around the school situation extraordinarily difficult yeah absolutely
1: and from my point of view obviously being a dad and I studied law at uni I don't understand the social stuff either and sometimes you know my autistic child he started grade one and it's funny because in my mind it seems completely logical if he has an issue with a bully for me to go well listen mate you know you're allowed to offer a uh, proportionate defense to an attack you know as long as your defense is proportionate to the attack he can go ahead and just punch him right in the face and that'll stop him but then my wife will try and go no whoa whoa, whoa we're not no. punching yeah <laughs> we're not going to punch but I'm thinking about, hey Hang on a second, I've studied law and I can tell you if if someone attacks you, you're entitled to a proportionate defence to that attack. It is so interesting when you try to put myself in a neurotypical shell to offer the right advice, but it, it doesn't actually work because of where I'm coming from. So it's those challenges that pile on top of the challenges that you mm. get from, and obviously, we all have different experiences with regards to teachers and educators and parents and friends of and families, and, and this idea that they think they know oh, you just, you guys just must have a badly behaved kid, or you guys just must be bad
2: parents, or, or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It's a very interesting – that part of having children is a very interesting part of the journey.
1: I'd love to know because obviously you can go back and look back and there's parents clearly listening. What kind of things do you wish you knew when you first became – a parent that you you know now from just pure experience, trial, error, failure. What kind of things would have been helpful?
2: Mm, it sounds really cliched and it's something that people do say a lot, and it applies to both of my children. No matter what you're in the middle of, it will pass. Everything passes. And nothing is ever insurmountable either. And no matter what you're going through with your child, you kind of you figure it out, you learn, you adapt. You change, you don't do it the same way you're stuffed up on. And also, I think there's this idea, especially when you're growing up, that your parents automatically know how to do everything and that once you become a parent, that the, the parenting gods shine down on you and anoint you as being a parent and that suddenly you will know how to do stuff. <laughs> and it, it's not the case. If anyone acts or says that it is, they're lying. And we're all just making stuff up as we go along and doing our best. I think that sort of covers anything that could up, come up with parenting, really.
1: <laughs> the real big challenges I think I'm finding is, is, number one, me being autistic but undiagnosed as a child. And I, if I reflect back on, my, I guess, my, you know, my relationship with my parents, I can kind of see now – why it may be uh, troubled or maybe, I guess, a little bit sensitive in ways. And now I'm experiencing with a, an autistic child. I can see that there can be times when you absolutely love the experience and you obviously love your child. just don't like the experience, right? I mean, I'm autistic. I've got an autistic son. I'm just being honest. Oh, actually, yeah. This is I – when mean, we don't mean this in a serious fashion. It's just because the challenges that it presents. But I, I think, to me, that's a real challenge – avoiding another generation of the same kind of relationship. Like as mm. in people go, parenting is in the trenches. Well, I go, listen, champ, I'm not in the trenches. I'm on the front line, my, my friend, every day. You're lucky you're getting a break in the trenches. You know, so and, I think, <laughs> and honestly, I think not only that, but I think, oh my goodness, but what about the neurotypical child? Sometimes they become the forgotten child. And these are things that really trouble
2: me. Yeah, um, I think we have a really interesting mix in our family because this is going to sound wild, but most of the time the autistic child is the kind of more easygoing one in a weird sort of a way. My daughter is the star of any show and the world (laughs) revolves around her. And from when she was born, she made it clear that that was not actually going to be possible. I hear this though with a lot of families. And so my daughter will just make it impossible to be the forgotten child. She will just, she's a lovely, lovely, lovely girl. And she's amazing with her brother. Like you couldn't, I I admire her so much because she knows what the thing to do to make people feel better about the world is. And she's not even six yet. She's incredible as a human, but she's also extremely loud and if you're not paying her attention, she will tell you and tell you exactly what you have to do. So it's a little bit different in our house, but I do think in general it can be really easy to get caught up in trying to make life comfortable for the autistic child. Yeah. And the other one does, I, I can definitely see how that happens sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I think I worry about the cost of, in my instance, the little brother becoming the big mm. brother becoming the big brother
2: that's one thing that does concern me because my daughter is incredibly mature and she's had to be and she's you see how some occupational and th- speech therapists work and my daughter is better than them at the age not all but some and she's better than them at the age of 5 because She's naturally caring and considerate by nature, but I worry about that Mm. because I want her to be little. I want her to enjoy being a five-year-old. And I've said to her a million times, I'm his mummy. I will take care of all of that stuff. You will never have to do this. I just want you to be his sibling. But it just, Mm. I, I don't know. She just, I worry about, her doing it so much, she does end up with a stolen childhood and she never really works out how to be little. Yeah,
1: and I, I think we can generalise and say, really, any sibling who has an older sibling who has challenges of any kind or a disability of any kind would experience the same kind of childhood. Unfortunately, it almost is just the way it it goes just because of the the way a family would operate in that situation. But, yeah, as, as you said, it's something given... That we have almost a two-year-old neurotypical mm. son, I can already see sometimes when they're both interacting or doing things, you know, it can come across literally like we're dealing with a big brother and a little brother in reverse. The way they yes. interact with each other, and you can already see that. And I just think, oh, at what cost? And maybe as autistic parents, it's this is something that troubles us, or we think about more than neurotypical parents. And I think what the the insight here. Is we're autistic parents and we can see the cost. It's a really interesting thing to discuss because, as you said, you know, we don't want to have a a lost childhood. So it is something that weighs on me. From your point of view, I always wonder if I'm doing enough to help and to rise to the challenge with, with my wife, with my neurotypical wife. I'm, I'm, I'd like to pick your brains. From your point of view, how can we actually help our neurotypical partners listening assist their autistic partner who is trying to parent in that role of mum and dad? Is there things that, you know someone like my wife or autistic partners can benefit from their neurotypical partners doing for them or helping them?
2: Okay, this is somewhere where I, th- I think gender and traditional gender roles does come into it. And it's probably a little bit different in our house because I'm the mum, but I'm also the autistic one. I'm still the one where there's more of that expectation for me to fill the, fulfill the role as the traditional mum, I guess. Uh, And I guess that comes down to, you know, back when we had little littles, I was the one that took maternity leave. So, and then there's the roll on from that, which no matter if you both work full time or whatever, generally, The person who births the children and has maternity leave tends to do more of that parenting. In my family, it's me who's mostly responsible for my son and the whole dealing with the outside world that comes from that. But that said, I think if you have a neurotypical parent in the family, it would be really, really helpful if they're the ones that can i think there's often the expectation that the other spouse will figure out what is needed of them i don't think this particularly works in any relationship or excuse me but men in general i think quite often women and mothers expect their partner to know that because something needs doing that they should do it i don't think it ever no, I don't think it. I don't think it ever actually translates into stuff getting done. No, I, no, no. So Dude. I think the biggest cause for disagreement comes when that stuff's not explicitly stated. Yeah, and that becomes particularly important when you're dealing with an autistic person, because generally, most autistic people—and not all. This is a generalization. Most of us want to do the right thing. Yes. And sometimes we need to be told what that is. Exactly. And so I think it, explicitly stating what you need from someone and sometimes it might be telling them how to do it as well because yes. some of us have really patchy adaptive skills, mm. <laughs> which is the the day-to-day doing stuff. Like you might assume that because your husband or wife is 40 years old, that at some stage in their life, they would have learned how to do X, Y, and Z but they may not have. No. So I think explicitly stating what you need from someone and demonstrating how to do it. Because most of us like, for instance, routines and rules and all of that sort of stuff, we can be very helpful people. But yes. It's just knowing what needs to be done to be a good partner, to be a good mother or father. You know
1: what, that is such great advice. And this is something that I think people need to hear and understand it doesn't matter if it seems simple. It's such great advice because I and I can relate to it too. And yeah, you know what? I'm a dude and you, you are hundred percent right. Preach. I'm bad at this stuff. Seriously. seriously. <laughs> There's one thing for my wife to be walking out to go to work and say, uh, geez, did you see the laundry basket? It's overflowing. Come home and go, why don't you do the washing? I said, I don't know. You're making an observation. I didn't know you wanted me to do you the washing. Have. She should have said, hey, do you mind putting on a load of washing today and hanging it out? Because even if she said do a load of washing, I might've done the washing, but i I would have left it in the washing machine. I don't know. Like, you know, where does it go? Does it go in the dryer? Can I put it in the dryer because I don't want to go outside? Or do I have to hang it on the line? Is there a rule?
2: Case in point right there. Yeah, I think it comes from a place of not wanting to be perceived as a nag or whatever. But there's a way to actually request things in a really soft and gentle way as well. So... You you can do these things without nagging. Yeah. Don't infer Um, it, though.
1: Just don't infer it. Just say it.
2: Don't infer it. Just be very explicit in what you need and want done. This might be me being a little sexist in general, but I think this works with all men. I think most men who have gotten married and want to be in a family, if you tell them what they need to do to live up to their end of the bargain generally, if it's a good man, he'll want to do that. But I think the, the inferring... Generally, is what brings things apart. Yes, because it happens with me as well. Oh, did you see? And I'm like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I did see the the dishes. That's lovely. This part. <laughs> <It's>...
1: <laughs> Good observation. Yeah. Thanks for the observation. I think we've really saved the world today, Ainsley. I think. <laughs> I think we've done our uh, bit.
2: I, I think so too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's been so enjoyable. I've really enjoyed talking to you about parenting and. Uh, I hope we can talk again soon. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Lovely. Thanks for having me.
1: My guest on this episode was Research Assistant and Future Leaders Project Officer at Aspect Research Centre for Autism Practice, Ainsley Robinson.
0: A Different Brilliant with With Orion Orion Kelly. Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. An Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I do appreciate it. Now, if the episode
1: has resonated with you, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, well, you can like the Aspect page on Facebook or you can visit my website, send me a message. Just go to orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly.
0: Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. An Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.